Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Liz. As was mentioned earlier, I have the privilege of directing the local chaplaincy service in our county jail, and I work at the women's facility as a chaplain there. And your church has a long history of supporting us, and of course your very own Chris Christensen has been a longtime volunteer and board member for us. And I'm, I know I'm making weird noises here. Is that better? Okay. Um, so we can do what we do without you and your support, so thank you. I appreciate you, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. About two weeks ago, I was doing my usual rounds seeing individual women in the jail, and I was in an area of the jail where there are three large dormitories, each of which can house up to about 80 women, and they sleep in bunk beds in pods around a central communal area. And I was speaking to the deputy, the sheriff's deputy who was overseeing that area, when all of a sudden, three or four women were pounding on the glass behind which they live and shouting. Now, this is never a good sign in jail, and it wasn't a good sign that day. They were shouting, Narcan, Narcan. And all of a sudden, the deputies sprang into action. They locked down all the other women in the other units. They called for medical backup. They called for Narcan, and they were looking for the person who was in trouble. Now, if you know what Narcan is, you probably guessed what had happened. Two young women in that unit had been using fentanyl, a drug, in the bathroom, and they had overdosed. And they were lying on the ground in the bathroom, and their hearts had stopped. Now, time is of the essence, of course, when this happens, um, because Narcan, which is an antidote, uh, can reverse the effects of fentanyl. And of course, resuscitation can bring people back who have stopped breathing. So the staff started resuscitation efforts. They administered Narcan, and the next 10 to 15 minutes was a rush of dozens of deputies, of medical personnel racing to get all the needed resources to help, as well as keep all the other women under supervision, as well as break up a fight that had broken out because some of the uh, friends of the women who collapsed um, reacted against the person they thought had given her the drugs. So it was chaos. And I retreated to my office, which was a few doors down from the unit, and I prayed. I prayed for the people responding. I prayed for the safety of everyone, the medical procedures, and of course, that these women wouldn't die. And after about 15 minutes of waiting, I was relieved to see the paramedics wheel out the two women who were sitting up and awake. Thank God, two more lives snatched back from the evils of fentanyl and its effects. Last week, uh, one of the women who collapsed asked to talk with me, and I know her pretty well from many previous incarcerations. And she sat down in my office, and I looked at her, and I asked, well, how are you doing? And she said, she looked at me, she said, well, much better than last week, and burst into tears. She'd actually, she told me, she'd been doing well for a number of years outside. She'd been sober, she had a job as a care assistant, and she was recovering from years of incarceration and addiction. But one day she'd come across an old friend who she knew from way back, 
who was struggling and she stopped to sit in his car and talk with him when the police rolled up. And it turns out the car she was sitting in was stolen and it was a, a probation violation for her to be in the car and talking to this person and so back to jail she came. And she ended up facing a felony charge which would be her third strike and when she found that out, she started to despair, realizing I could spend the rest of my life in prison, cut off from my friends, my family, the life I've been building. And this despair rose up in her and she turned to her old coping mechanism, drugs. And she was sobbing, talking to me, telling me I didn't want to take it and I did want to take it and I didn't want to give in to this despair, but it overtook me and I did it because I didn't care about my life in that moment. And it struck me that she sounded a lot like Paul sounds in the Romans passage we read, that uncharacteristic for Paul, somewhat chaotic passage, um, where I'm not actually sure what Paul's personal struggle was, but what he wrote sounds a lot like what I hear every day in the jail. Paul speaks of how he doesn't always understand why he does the very things he doesn't want to do. Things he knows are wrong and not good for him. He speaks of not doing what his conscious mind might say to him, Paul, we don't want to do this. It's not good for us. It can harm us. And he speaks of this struggle in his flesh. And flesh being a word that Paul often uses to represent the sinful struggle of humanity living in a self-centered way. This struggle that he's in. And he also speaks of having the willpower to do the right thing, but that willpower simply not being enough to actually follow through. And this puts into words what my friend in jail was saying. She knows that fentanyl is dangerous and deadly. She doesn't want to take it. She's in recovery. She knows the pitfalls, but she did it anyway. Paul is describing this web, this struggle of sin. And I really hope that none of us here are battling with an addiction as deadly as fentanyl. But we can relate to the struggle on some level, each one of us. Maybe it's not an illegal drug for you or me, but that glass or five of wine at the end of the day that we know is not good for us, but we drink it anyway because somehow it's a little more in control of us than we are of it. Or maybe it's a more virtuous addiction like workaholism. We're working hard, we're working more, we're working more, we're perfecting our work, we're trying, but we can never tune it out and rest. Maybe it's the way we talk to a friend or a family member, not the way we want to, not the way we know is actually effective and helpful, but boy, that person makes us so mad that the words just come out of our mouth. Maybe it's ongoing anxiety about the world and the community uh, we live in, a creeping despair that's growing on us day by day. Or maybe it's something we're not doing that we know is good for us, but seems so just difficult to do, like exercise, or meditate and pray, or eat broccoli, 
Or maybe it's simply not doing the wonderful, creative and beautiful things we're gifted by God to do because sitting on the couch and playing Nintendo is so much easier. So much can get in the way of each one of us living the life we know is good and right. Our own addictions, our lack of willpower, depression, anxiety, stress, stubbornness, laziness, it goes on. And Paul describes this tangled spider's web of a struggle that all of us get caught in like flies trying desperately to escape. And Paul ends with a question, well, who's going to rescue us from this tangled, deadly web we're all stuck in? And I'll tell you what won't rescue us or what hasn't rescued me at least. Self-help books, magic wands, fervent prayers and efforts, willpower. So what will rescue us? Let's turn to Jesus in the gospel. Jesus begins by pointing out that often we humans simply don't want to hear what God is telling us and showing us, right? John the Baptist came with austerity, preaching repentance and fasting. And people said, he's crazy. He's got a demon in him. Then Jesus came and he would join the parties and celebrate with people. And he would bring healing and a message of grace. And people said, well, he's a drunkard. Human wisdom, our sense of what's right and where God is, is skewed and warped because it's caught in that struggle that Paul was describing. On our own, we are blind often to the presence of God and deaf to God's message. We cannot find God and free ourselves by ourselves. We cannot escape the web on our own. And Jesus goes on to say it even more explicitly. God has hidden the answers, hidden the wisdom from the people who seem intelligent and with it and given it to children. That's quite the statement, right? Who in your circles of influence and friendship would you consider intelligent and wise? Where do you go for advice, right? Your colleagues at work, your friends, your pastor, your favorite books and authors, the latest app on your phone that you're using to try and change your life and make it better, chat GPT now. These sources, right, they're all around us and they may have some helpful input. But Jesus says true wisdom True freedom from the struggles in life cannot be found in them. And Jesus goes on and reaches the same conclusion that Paul did in Romans. The answer, the freedom from the struggles can only be found in the person of Jesus himself. Come to me, he says, all of you who are weary, all of you who are carrying burdens in life, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and there is where you'll find rest. The only way to escape the struggle, be it fentanyl addiction or despair with the world or the daily grind that wears you down is to come to the person of Jesus. 
Are you weary at all of life this morning? Are you carrying heavy burdens? Have you been trying for a long time to do or feel better? Come to me, Jesus says. I will give you rest. Hand that burden to me and I'll give you something in return that's much better. And Jesus uses the image of a yoke, which would be very um, familiar to those listening to him. The yoke is a wooden, a large wooden bar, essentially attached to the shoulders of farm animals so they can pull, often in pairs, a plow or something like that. And Jesus is saying, I'll take off this heavy, burdensome yoke that's weighing you down and crushing you. The weariness, the struggle in your life. And I'll give you something lighter, my yoke, in return. And I love the image. I hope you can capture it a little for yourself. Jesus lifts off of you the heaviness of the burden you're carrying, the struggles, the sins, the problems, the sorrows, the regrets, the shame, the frustration of life that you aren't able to fix no matter how hard you try and gives you something in return, a lighter, well-fitting yoke, his yoke, implying actually that we pull and bear this yoke not by ourselves, but alongside Jesus himself. There is work for you to do in this life, but it's not going to crush you and you're not doing it alone. God is not harsh and punishing when we come with confession and struggle, but God is humble and gentle and offers rest for your soul. Such a different picture from Paul's picture of the struggle to escape the web of sin and despair on our own with willpower and effort, right? It's a different picture. It's an invitation to hope, to connection with God, to partnership with God, to live life with all its difficulties, walking and working through the world with Jesus and a light step. So this is the message that we seek to share with everyone in our jails who's struggling with despair and addiction. And it's also the message for each one of us with the burdens and struggles we carry through life. So as I end now, I want to invite you to practically respond to Jesus. In a moment, we're going to pray for a, a minute together and then take communion. And as we pray, and as we have a moment of silence as I end, I invite you to quietly verbalize to God the struggles, the burdens that you are carrying and ask him to take them from you. Imagine, if you like, in your mind, picking up this burden, whatever it is for you, and handing it to God to carry. And as we take communion together, I invite you to see taking the bread and the juice or the wine as a physical symbol of taking on yourself the lighter, gentler yoke of Jesus in return. That as you eat and drink, you're saying to Jesus, okay, 
I give up, I let go of this burden, and I'll pick up yours and try and walk with you from now on. Right, so let's just have a moment of quiet. And if you're ready, I invite you to quietly tell God, I want to let go of this burden and I want to pick up whatever you give me. It's just a moment of quiet and then I'll end us. God, I thank you that there's no burden too big or um, anything that's too uh, difficult or long-standing in our lives. There's nothing too much for you to take from us. And I pray for each one of the men, women, and children in our jails that you would lift off of them the heavy burden of addiction and despair. And for each person here this morning, uh, that you would take what we give you and give us uh, your lighter, your gentler, your humble work in return. Thank you for your blessing. Amen.